Welcome into the Raw Knuckles podcast, and uh, it's been a, an emotional week for me. I um, uh, certainly uh, lost a, a good friend and teammate in one of the greatest uh, all-time uh, that played for the Montreal Canadiens, but one of the greatest all-time in the National Hockey League, uh, Guy Lafleur. And I wanted to honor him today and take a look back at his career. Uh, he had a 17-year NHL career. Um, it spanned from 71 to 91. And the first 14 of those years were with the Montreal Canadiens, uh, followed by a three-year retirement. <clears throat> uh, and then he skated one season alongside me, which was a, a great honor uh, with the New York Rangers. And then he played two more with the Quebec Nordiques. He was known as certainly one of the greatest right-wingers to ever play the game. But he was also one of the most exciting uh, players of that generation. And uh, not only, uh, listen, superstar hockey players, superstar athletes uh, certainly uh, are held in esteem by fans uh, and sometimes the media alike. And Guy was a guy who obviously grew up in uh, Thurso, Quebec, small uh, paper mill town here in Quebec and he he rose to superstardom and it all started in that little town but you know the nickname en français was le demon blonde the blonde demon and uh, to us Anglos here in Quebec uh, he was known as simply the flower and Guy uh, certainly he, he had a zest for life and uh, he carried himself with such dignity, grace, and um, flair, uh, like no other. Uh, I mean, we often, um, like I said, look at these superstar athletes, and they are somewhat on a different level than the average uh, athlete, uh, depending on the sport. And I look at hockey, obviously the one I played and the one Guy played, he was right up there with the all-time best. There are three pillars of the organization, uh, the Montreal Canadiens, three great pillars. And, and, and let me tell you, there have been so many um, Hall of Famers and, great, and, not, and not Hall of Famers um, as far as great players that played for this organization. But the three pillars, especially in this province of Quebec, uh, were Rocket Rashad, Jean Beliveau, and Guy Lafleur. Now, Guy, uh, when we say one of the pillars, certainly, here in Quebec, uh, the French Canadians are very passionate people. They're a proud people. They have that uh, zest for life, and, and, and they enjoy their life. There's a lot of emotion in this province. And Guy typified all of those qualities, uh, not only on the ice, but off the ice. And uh, when I certainly um, think of my interactions with him and my friendship with him over the years, um, he epitomized all of that. And I certainly um, have some great memories uh, about to share with you about Guy. And 
uh, the times we got to spend together. And, you know, here's a guy that, here's his uh, trophy case, okay? Two hot trophies, NHL's most valuable player, 77, 78. He had three Lester B. Pearson Awards, now called the Ted Lindsay Award for most outstanding player in the regular season. He won that in uh, 76, 77, 78, uh, and that's voted by the players. And he had one Conn Smythe for MVP during the playoffs. That was 1977. He has five Stanley Cups, 73, 76, 77, 78, 79. He had six consecutive 50-goal 100-point seasons, 560 goals, and 793 assists for a total of 1,353 points. Uh, in his prime, uh, three all, uh, three-time Art Ross Trophy winner, 76, 77, 78. Uh, he was almost unstoppable and uh, certainly one of the most prolific scorers in the league at the time uh, and one of the most exciting of the generation. Uh, and... You know, he represented his province well. And when I say that, uh, we look at uh, some of the, the, the great players and uh, we think uh, the, some of the great players from this province, uh, Lemieux, Marcel Dion, Mike Bossy, uh, uh, just guys that were on another level when it came to the offensive part of the game and the way they played the game. Um, Guy was at the time the fastest player in the NHL to reach 1,000 points. He only needed 720 games to do that. Only five players since have reached that 1,000-point mark faster. Gretzky did it in one, uh, 424 games. Lemieux did it in 513. Bossy, 656 games. Stastny, 682 games. And Yari Curry, 716 games. So, um, Guy was right up there when we talk about those greatest players of all time. Uh, he was. Uh, and the Stanley Cups on top of it um, just, um, you know, say a lot. Uh, and those individual trophies, they're great. And I know Guy would say, you know, yeah, it's a great accomplishment personally. But for me, it was uh, those Stanley Cups. And in the 70s, there, there certainly wasn't uh, a better goal scorer. Uh, he could skate. Uh, he was a bit of a, a, a magician with the puck. Um, you know, not that dangle, dangle. He skated with speed and did everything at top speed and was able to maneuver in ways that I, I think up until that point, a lot of, NHL fans and media uh, coaches, players haven't really seen somebody do at that level, that speed that he brought to the game. Uh, he was um, an artist of the game. And, uh, you know, his skating style, his scoring touch, uh, every time he stepped on the ice, uh, and I think of one player that when I was a young kid growing up watching, uh, that I saw be able to bring everybody out of their seats. That was Bobby Orr. And he's the guy, obviously, who got me interested in hockey uh, as a young kid growing up in Boston. And uh, Orr, uh, and I used to sneak in the Boston guy with my friends. We'd go in town and, you know, take the train in. And um, we would, uh, 
you know, sneak in through either the elephant walk, which was where the circus um, brought all the circus animals in to the garden when uh, Ringling Brothers was there, or we would climb up uh, through the back of the Boston Garden. They had um, fire escapes there, and uh, there was a uh, fire escape going up. You could crawl down through a vent and come out a little door uh, up in the balcony section of the Boston Garden. We used to do that all the time. Anyway, you know, then we'd, we'd scramble around and avoid the ushers and try and um, sit in the aisles. And, uh, you know, we'd often go in and just move around all game. But there were times we'd find a place we could sit and we wouldn't get checked on. A lot of times you'd find a good usher. He wouldn't bust your balls. And we'd we'd sit and watch. And when Orr would grab the puck behind the net, uh, and wind it up. He just it, he beat one guy, and people just started standing up, and the whole building would rise uh, and and get on their feet. And I remember that as a kid, and I loved that feeling, and I loved watching it. it was it was, it, and I think back what memories. But I was a fan then, just a young fan, and then uh, having played for the Canadians and, and sat on the bench and was a teammate of this guy. And when he would grab the puck in his own end of the rink and at top speed with the blonde hair just flying back in the breeze. And I mean, like, you got to picture it because, you know, there's a lot of, certainly a lot of articles, books, there's all sorts of things written about Guy. But the, the vision of that, of him grabbing the puck at top speed and his hair just flying back and up the wing and the trademark slap shot that um, it, it was unbelievable. So I would be sitting there on the bench and all of a sudden you would see he get the puck and then you'd be looking across and the fans would just be popping up out of their seats and you brought the whole Montreal Forum to their feet. And um, usually finished it off with a goal or a good opportunity. You know, I had some great interactions with him uh, over the years. And it's funny, I think back to my first time meeting Guy. Um, and, and listen, I, I got to preface this by saying I hated this guy. And I hated the Montreal Canadiens. And I guess hate's a strong word. Let me just say I really disliked him. But I was a young kid at the time. And the Montreal Canadiens and... Number 10 here broke my heart so many times. The, the Bruins could never beat this team in the playoffs. Um, uh, I was fortunate as a kid to see the Bruins beat St. Louis Stanley Cup final when Bobby Orr scored the famous goal. But, um, you know, I never got to see the Bees after that um, be able to get by the Canadians in those 70s, those years, um, they couldn't do it. And there were times the Bruins would shoot themselves in the foot, but there were times also that the offensive juggernaut that the Canadians were was just too much for them to handle. And when I think back the first time I met him, you know, uh, not having the enormous around, amount of respect and um, uh, caring and love that I do have for him as a friend, um, 
and understanding that uh, enormous ability, his um, his desire and the charisma to go along with it. Um, you know, not understanding that at the time, uh, I, I, I just really disliked him and his hockey team. And lo and behold, uh, I was drafted in 1978 out of Northeastern University by none other than the Montreal Canadiens. Now, they're in the midst of um, their run of four Stanley Cup straight. And... I remember after being drafted, I wanted to leave school that year and, and turn professional. And my dad certainly had a talk with me about that, uh, how foolish it would be to leave school. I was on a scholarship, and uh, you'd be the first one to uh, go through college in our family and graduate. So keep your ass in the seat at school. So I stayed one more year. And I, I often joke around, if I left early, I'd have another Stanley Cup. And if I played one more year of my career, I would have had another one. So I would have had three, and I would have almost been kind of in the category of all these greats here in Montreal who have 9, 10, 11, Henri Rashad, 11 Cups, Lamert, whatever, 8, 9, 10, Savard, uh, 8, it's crazy the amount of Stanley Cups they have. And I say that because, you know, a lot of times you're here in Montreal and I'll bump into people and they'll say, hey, Knuckles, how many Stanley Cups you got? I go, one. And they go, only one? And I'm like, you know, fuck you. What do you mean only one? If you only knew what it take to get that one, you'd be happier than a pig in shit. And it, it's just funny how that goes, though. And I... And, I, I kind of run into that quite a bit. But um, Guy, again, me being drafted, I was drafted in the 17th round, okay, of that draft. Some people say it was the 19th. Whatever it was, there were 235 players taken that year in 1978. I was 231. I was naive. I really didn't understand how the NHL operates, the business side of it, the draft, all those things. Today, you go to the draft, you bring your family, your cousins, your girlfriend, everybody comes, all right? Back in my day, you didn't have a clue, right? Like, okay, the NHL draft is coming. I found out I was drafted. I was in a bar room at uh, College Bar at Northeastern, the Cask and Flagon. And a friend of mine come up and said, Gee, I, congratulations, I'm there, what? He said, you got drafted. I'm there, no way. He said, yeah, by the Montreal Canadiens. I'm there, no way. And um, he said, come on, let's go back. Maybe we'll catch it on the other station. He, he brought me to the back bar, and the TV was playing there, and they switched the station from 4 to 7, and the sports hadn't come on yet on 7. And sure enough, the sports come on. They talked about local college kids who were drafted, and my name's there. And I couldn't believe it. Anyway, I'm all, you know, certainly proud and happy and honored to be drafted. But I mean, I want to, I want to be drafted by the Bruins, not the Canadians. You know, the team I hate. And um, so that following season, the Bruins are in the playoffs against the Canadians, 78-79. And I could have left school, and, and maybe I'd have made the team. Maybe I wouldn't have. But I kind of have a feeling I would have, you know, because 
they could have used a tough guy against Boston at that time. Another tough guy. They had Pierre Bouchard on defense at the time, but they didn't really have a forward that could do kind of what Knuckles did. And, um, you know, anyway, uh, I stayed in school. And then I, I, I decide one day with a friend of mine, Franny Flaherty, we're going to go in and we're going to watch uh, the Bruins practice the morning of the game. And then we're going to stay and watch the Habs practice. So we're in there watching the Habs practice after the Bruins. And the practice is over, and we're sitting around there, and Franny's talking to me. It's unbelievable. You're drafted by this team. It's crazy, you know. And uh, I said, yeah, I'm, you know, I can't wait to go up there. You know, i got to finish school and all this. So anyway, Franny says, why don't you see if you can get a couple of tickets up in Montreal, and we'll go up together. We'll drive up, and boom, we'll catch the, catch the Bruins-Canadians game uh, after game four here. So I'm mean, there, yeah, let me see. So we walked down, and uh, Howard Grumman, he was the son of the general manager, Irving, and uh, he was the road secretary. So I went up to Howard. I said, Howard, uh, my name's Chris Nyland. How you doing, pal? Listen, uh, I was drafted by the Canadians last year in the draft, 78 here, this and, and I'm um, I'm wondering if I could get a couple tickets next game up in Montreal. And he said, um, oh, yeah, yeah, look, you were drafted by us, really? And I'm there, yeah. And he said, where did you play? I said, Northeastern, right here in Boston. He said, what round? I said, 17th round. I'm all proud and shit. And he takes out the, guy, uh, the, the, the media put out a book every year. It's not like today, obviously, the computers and stuff. But he pulled out the book, and he looked in the back, and he saw my name. He said, okay, all right, okay, I'll leave you a couple tickets. So, boom, practice over. You know, we hung around there for a while, and then we get out and we jump in Franny's car, Lincoln Continental Mach 5, you know, badass-looking vehicle, big boat, white, white leather seats inside Franny. Uh, and, and we jump in the car, and we come around from behind the Boston Garden, and there on the street corner is Guy Lafleur. Jacques Lemaire and Gilles Lupien, the three of them, they're looking for a cab, you know, their, their heads, they look like pigeons, you know, their heads were bopping around. And so Franny goes, geez, let's pick them up. Let's pick them up, see if they want to ride. And I'm there, sure. So Franny pulls up, we pull up in the car. Franny goes, hey, you guys, uh, Guy, you, you want to ride the hotel? Uh, we'll give you a ride over there. And the three of them looked at each other like, are, are we going to do this? Are we going to get in this car with these two? They look like they could possibly pull a gun out and not only rob us of our money, but our Stanley Cup rings. So with some hesitation, they jumped in the vehicle and they hop in the back seat. And uh, it's, Guy was a little nervous. He lit up a butt right away. Uh, he said, you mind if I smoke in the car? And he said, no, go right ahead. Uh, anything, you know. And... We're driving, and Franny's here. Yeah, I, I, you guys, you always beat us, blah, blah, blah. You know, the, the Bruins, uh, we're dying to see them beat you guys and going back and forth. And um, then Franny said, this guy here, he, he plays hockey. And they said, oh, yeah, where you play? And I said, well, I play right here at Northeastern University. And he said, actually, I'm going to be up there playing with you guys next year. So... Uh, Lemaire says to me, he says, oh, yeah, how are you going to do that? And I said, well, I was drafted by you guys. The Canadians drafted me last year. And then Lafleur says, um, 
really? They draft you? What what round were you drafting? And I said, the 17th? I was all proud and everything, right? And the three of them start laughing their ass off, right? 17th round pick? This kid doesn't have a chance in hell, they're thinking. And I'm thinking, you know what? I, I Honestly, I didn't, I didn't even care, all right, about draft order, okay? I was 231 out of 235. I figured, listen, I has, have as good a chance at making that team as the guy who was drafted first in the first round. And that guy that year, drafted by the Canadians, was Danny Jeffreyon. Matter of fact, his dad was coaching the team um, the year I came in. Uh, Bowman left, and anyway, Jeffreyon came in, and he was the first pick. Anyway, so we're driving, and uh, they're laughing, and we're talking, and... Um, you know, we drive them to the Hyatt Regency over in Cambridge, drop them off, said, hey, good luck, guys. They thanked us. They were really nice. They were awesome. I'm like, man, no, you know, it was so cool to meet them. And um, they're getting out of the car and when we dropped them off. And I said, don't forget. I said, I'm going to see you guys up there next year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Big laugh. And um, sure enough, I ended up leaving school. I finally broke it to my dad. I, I, I ain't doing this no more. I'm done. It's all over. I'm out of school. Uh, I want to. I want to turn pro, um, and to his chagrin, I did. Get to camp. I come up. I check in the hotel. Everything. I'm going to my first training camp, Montreal Canadiens. You know. Yeah, I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I had the butterflies and a little lump in my throat. But you know what? Listen, they all put their pants on the same way I do. And um, I get to um, camp the first day, and Actually, we got to a hotel, and they broke it up into four teams. I'm on the same team with Guy Lafleur, and it's unbelievable. So I, I get to the locker room, and because it's Guy, right? They're not putting Guy in one of the other locker rooms. They're putting Guy in the main room. So I'm in the main locker room there. Man, this is unbelievable. I'm sitting there, and we're getting ready to go out, and we played a round-robin tournament in training camp back then. You played yourself into shape. You didn't so much come in shape. Although I was in decent shape that year coming in. But back in the day, training camp was for that. And I'm, <laughs> I put my stuff on. I'm like, man, this is weird. Last year I'm at Northeast, and now here I am uh, with the team I hate. And, you know, I look over, and he's staring at me. Guy Lafleur staring at me. Kept looking and kept looking, double take back and forth. And he goes, he looks over, he goes, hey. It's you, huh? It's you, the kid from Boston, you, the one you give me a ride. Tabernak, he said, it's you. I said, yeah, I told you I was going to be here. <laughs> Didn't I? I said, I was going to be here. And I'm telling you, he started to laugh. He got up and come over. He said hello to me. He said, Tabernak, you said you were going to be here. And I'm telling you, it, it just, okay, it made me, made me feel good, you know. And I go through camp and. The whole thing it was it was it was just so awesome that so that was our first interaction that's how we met and um if i can go back a bit franny and i when we got those tickets well i asked if we get tickets in montreal we did get the tickets and i'll tell you we watched the bruins game that night we we're at the game canadians and then we take off the next day to go to montreal we drive and we uh, run around Montreal for the day, you know, game time. We get there about 6 o'clock. No, we got there about 7.15. The game was at 8. 
and I go up to the ticket window. Do you have tickets for Chris Nyland? Now, I, I should have asked Guy or Jacques Lemaire or Lupe if I could get tickets from them uh, because I probably, I probably would have made out better. But we asked for the tickets, and the lady said, what's your name? Show me a license. I showed the license, Chris Nyland. And um, she comes walking back with the tickets, and she says, that'll be $275 on there. What? So... Right then and there, I found out the difference between a 17th-round pick and a first-round pick. First-round picks don't pay for the tickets. 17th-rounders do. But uh, Franny and I were, like, looking at each other. Anyway, thank God he had the credit card. I'm a college guy. I have no credit card. And Franny had one. And it was I think it was a hot credit card, too. It's someone else's. And we used it, and we went to the game, and um, it was awesome. But So my first training camp, I finally meet uh, Guy. I get sent to Halifax, and I go down there, and I, I apply my trade early on. And I wanted to be a hockey player. I was thinking scoring goals do all that. And I played physical hockey, obviously, watching the Bruins my whole life. But uh, that got me into trouble playing that way. And another thing, my naivety, naivete um, coming into pro hockey was just forget about it. I didn't. I didn't get it. You know, I didn't realize. I mean, I knew the fighting, but I didn't, you know, American League, I didn't even really, I watched the Hirsch, the uh, Boston Braves a few times with O'Reilly and that stuff, but I didn't, you know, I was always watching the Bruins, so I didn't know how it worked, you know, the inner workings of it. And I ended up um, going uh, to Halifax there, my first game, had a uh, first game I played. I was on a five-game trial, 200 bucks a game. Anyway, first game, I have a fight. Glenn Cochran, Flyers farm team. Glenn Cochran, big defenseman there. I never fought in the ice until that time. I had, a, like I said, that five-game tryout. And the next day, because I fought Cochran, cut him open pretty good, and I did well in the fight, the Canadian signed me to contract, which was incredible. And I'm like, that's all I had to do is win one fight, and I'm getting a contract? I couldn't believe it. I got a three-year contract. That one fight got me the contract, but... It got my foot in the door. My foot was in the door because I got drafted. Then I dragged the other one in with that fight. I played 49 games in Halifax and end up getting called up. I had 304 minutes in penalty. I was fighting every night. I get called up to the Habs. And who's hurt? Guy Lafleur, Bob Ganey. Two wingers are hurt, so they call me up. I, and Ganey's a left winger. Knuckles, right winger. So I think they called me up to replace the great Guy Lafleur, believe it or not. And uh, <laughs> I was like, you know, I, got, I couldn't believe I got called up. Here I go. And it's funny, my, my good friend Tim Burke said he, he knew when I got called up uh, that I was never coming back. He said that's, a, he, he just knew. Uh, and Berkey, obviously, he's the assistant GM uh, with San Jose Sharks now, but he knew I was never coming back. And it's funny when I think back of that. But anyway, this ain't about me. It's about Guy, but it's about our relationship. And I, I get called up and um, the first game in Atlanta and blah, blah, blah. It was all fun. Guy uh, was back in Montreal. He wasn't there when I got called up. So we get back to Montreal after the road trip. We played Atlanta, Philadelphia. I got my first point in Philly, assist. And then we come home to Montreal. And... 
Monday, we flew back Sunday. Monday was a day off. And I had to skate because I was the only rookie that day off. Uh, rookies didn't have a day off. Uh, and the practice, well, ice that I could use that day was in Verdun because there was something at the forum. And I get to uh, Verdun and I'm in the room getting ready by myself. They have one trainer there taking care of me. And all of a sudden, the door swings open and who comes in? Le Dimon Blanc. The flower comes in the room. He said, hey, you're here. Tabernak. You know, I said, yep, I told you I was going to be here. <laughs> and uh, it was so funny. And he said, yeah, you did. And, you know, we sat there and shot the breeze. You know, I, I was just in awe. I mean, here I am. Just me in Guy Lafleur. I mean, think about it. You know, when you're a young kid growing up and your aspirations playing the NHL, and then you get there, and and here's this guy you hated all these years, and now you're on his team, and it's just you and him, one of the greatest players of all time, in the same locker room, and I always say that just me and Guy. And, and and I think back what I cherished that moment today, having um, just lost um, my dear friend. Uh, I, I think back at that moment. And that's, you know, those memories, you know, it, it, it's, it's not, there's nothing better when you think back. They're irreplaceable. They're, they're cherished. They're, they're so cool. And... So we went out on the ice and flew around. He was flying. You know, we skated. We'd skate in circle, and between the blue lines, we'd pick it up. And I was trying to keep up with him, and I'm like, ah, this is, like, impossible. And I think he felt a little bad, so he just cruised. And then we started shooting pucks, and he was passing me pucks. I was hitting one-timers, and, you know, we you know, talked a little bit, and then we'd skate a little more, do some laps, and... Anyway, he he worked with me uh, on some things with my shot, told me the importance of skating for this organization, skating such a big part of the game. and um, I just had an awesome day out in the ice, just me and Guy Lafleur. It was, it was incredible. And we get in the locker room, and I'm getting ready. I'm, what am I doing? I'm going back to the goddamn hotel um, by myself. You know, all the guys are, you know, home relax and spend the day with their families or whatever they do. And I'm like, what am I going to do? And Guy says, listen, what are you doing right now? I said, oh, I'm just heading back to the hotel. He said, ah, you want to go to lunch? We go to lunch together. I'm there, oh, sure, I'd love to. We get it. You know, it's funny. I, I think back <clears throat> the year before, <clears throat> I'm in an old beat-up shitbox Montego MX, dents all over it, got hit by a garbage truck, and I was going to lunch with my friend Joe Mahoney at Northeastern, uh, at McDonald's or Subway or wherever sub shop we were going and the year before, and now here I am going off to lunch with one of the greatest players ever to play the game in a Corvette. 
to a fancy restaurant in Montreal. And I'll never forget, we got in there, and Guy loved speed, not only on the ice, but off the ice. You know, he flew helicopters. He loved um, Formula One. Uh, Gilles Villeneuve was a friend. Uh, he got the opportunity to drive that thing. But he loved speed. And we went to uh, Le Beaujardie Thursdays, a famous bar here in Montreal. And uh, there's a disco downstairs, kind of like a regular bar in the middle. And then upstairs, a restaurant. And we went to the restaurant for lunch. And I'll never forget walking in that day. And obviously, he took the lead. And uh, I was like hanging on to his coattails. But we go up the stairs and... I'm telling you, you would have think Jesus Christ himself walked into that place. We uh, get to the top of the stairs and the restaurant's full. Everybody's eyes. One person looked up and then it was everybody. Um, you know, kind of like when I said everybody comes out of their seats watching a game when he grabs the puck. Well, he didn't have the puck here. It was just Gee walking into a restaurant and I was like blown away, like, and I think at that point, I'm uh, certainly I, I realized I was like, I'm with someone who, man, he he is, was so revered here and so looked up to and so loved. And right there in that moment, I, I got the opportunity to experience it for the first time. And it was incredible. And we sat down and ate, and it was really my first time dealing with people staring at you in a restaurant or coming up and wanting autographs. And no one knew who the hell I was. So funny. And, and that was fine with me. And I just watched him sign away. But everyone he signed, okay, everyone he signed, he pushed the paper over to me and introduced me to that person. This is a new player of ours, Chris Nyland. Uh, he's going to be here. And I'm like, you know, I'm I'm shy, I'm embarrassed. Like, I I didn't sign my sign anything. The only thing I ever signed was my court papers. Uh, you know, after you know probation. And uh, it was just so cool. And I, I I guess that day I realized just how I was I was grateful, but I was. I was realizing that I was in the company of greatness, you know, superstardom. And it was just an incredible day. And that was my, my, my day with just me and Guy, which was so awesome. I, you know, great memory. And, you know, I was, got to play with Guy at a time when, you know, after that fourth Stanley Cup, you know, Things started to go the other way a little bit. I got called up that year. Uh, that year, uh, we played Minnesota in the playoffs. And here's the Habs going for their fifth Stanley Cup in a row. And I'm thinking, geez, my first year, I'm going to get a cup. This is crazy. I got a shot at this thing. And lo and behold, we played Minnesota in the first round. Ken Dryden retired. Conway retired. He was at camp with me. LaMaire was gone. So there was starting a transition uh, from that dynasty team. And, you know, I'm getting there in that transition. And, uh, God, I'm thinking, you know what? 
I got a shot at this thing. And anyway, game seven, Montreal form, overtime. We lose the game. Al McAdams scores a goal. I am devastated. I'm there, geez. But yeah, you know what? We'll get one next year. No, I'm not worried. Yeah, you know, they beat us. Oh, well. We'll bounce back and uh, be back there again next year. And anyway, uh, it was tough, tough to handle. But, uh, you know, off we go and come back to training camp the following year. And there's Guy again. And, um, you know, things were not probably as as i guess good for gee i mean he was still putting up the numbers you know uh, he was still putting up numbers but things were a little different now guys have retired lemaire was gone the guy who really helped him to you know score those 50 goals and those 100 points every year uh, and i say things went the other way he played 51 games in 80 81 he had um 27 goals 43 assists today Today that would warrant a you know, a, you know eighty million dollar contract for eight years. Uh, so uh, anyway, and then the following year he had twenty seven goals again. Uh, the following year twenty seven again, and then the following year he had thirty. He had seventy points in eighty games. I mean that's nothing to sneeze at. Thirty goals, forty assists in eighty three, eighty four. And through this time, I mean, we, we, we had fun. I, I remember the night, my first year, we were in Edmonton. And um, I had just got called up there. We went on that road trip after the Just Me and Geek Day. And we were in Edmonton, and we won the game. And afterwards, we go out. We are flying back to Montreal the following day. It was the end of the road trip. And we all go out, and I'm at the club. And we're at a disco, and... Gee's there, all the boys are there, and Gee says, hey, have a night. come on, Chris, Chris, come. Yeah, have, take some of this, yeah. And he, he he bought me a drink, and it was, and I'm telling you, I don't know how he did this, but I don't know how I did it, and I wish I never did, but I did it. Cognac and amaretto. Now, I don't know, I think the amaretto was put in there to sweeten up the cognac, but I'm going to tell you right now, it was the worst thing I ever drank, I think, in my life. And the problem is I didn't just have one. I had like five of them with him. Well, I, next thing I know, okay, I don't even remember going home that night. Thanks, Guy. And the next thing I know, someone's shaking me, and it's Rod Langway. I was a rookie that year. I had my own room. Everybody else had roommates. I was the odd guy, and so I got my own room. I slept through the wake-up call. The alarm didn't go off, and I slept in my suit. And <laughs> Claude Rell, who absolutely loved me, the coach, because he called me Yankee boy. Yankee boy. Come on, my Yankee boy. Tonight's the night. Tonight's the night, Yankee boy. You're going to get your first tonight, Yankee. And um, I, Rod Lang was shaking me. Get up. Knock. Come on. We the the. The bus, it's leaving. Everybody's on the bus. And I thought it was busting my boss. He said, no, everybody's on the bus. Let's go. We're going to the airport. We're going to miss the plane. Anyway, I, we flew commercial back then. So anyway, I, boom, I just grabbed my bag. I come downstairs. My hair's a mess. I'm a mess. My bloodshot eyes. I stink of booze. And I'm Rod went ahead of me, get on the bus. And then I take one step on the bus. And there's Claude Rell sitting right in the front row looking at me. He had this... 
just, he wasn't looking at me. He's looking straight ahead. He didn't look at me. And I was like, oh, and I got my head down. I'm going by. And I step up that third stair to turn and head to my seat. And the whole bus stands up and starts clapping, led by Gee. Yeah, he's clapping. I was, you know, I have my head between my legs. I, I'm there. I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm getting um, sent back to the miners. But I didn't. Thank God. Um, Claude, uh, my my coach, Claude, uh, he did love me. And he, he, he gave me a pass and talked to me about it when I get back. But that was fine. When I get back to Montreal, he talked to me about it. Yankee boy, no more, Yankee boy. No more of this. You have fun, but you can never, again, miss the bus or be late. Okay, Yankee boy? So I took... Um, Certainly that advice, and I made sure uh, I never missed another bus or was late for anything when it came to hockey. And, um, yeah, so Guy, the bastard, got me. And uh, I'll never forget that. And then there was one interaction we had that I kicked myself in the ass to this day that I did this. And we're on the plane, and we have all been on, you know, long road trip, we're coming coming home and Guy was sound asleep and Guy Lapointe a couple guys said come on I was the rook come on Chris you gotta cut his tie so I'm thinking well whatever so they give me the scissors and Guy's sound asleep and I go up and I cut his tie he had a nice red tie he dressed like it was impeccable anyway I cut the tie and I go back and I sit down sleeping and he wakes up. He was fucking furious. And I'm like, oh, you. Those guys put me up to it, but I'm stupid. I did it. I felt so bad. You don't know how bad I felt. Like, I, I honestly, if the back door of the plane was open, I was ready to jump. I, I just, I felt so bad. And, of course, all the other guys are laughing their ass off at me because they knew what was coming. And... Um, he found out it was me. I went to him. I apologized. Gee, there's no excuses, but they all put me up to it. And I went and did it. I shouldn't have done it. I apologize. I'm so sorry. Uh, it's okay. No problem. But you're going to be there one day. It's called respect. Respect. And oh God, I felt bad. And anyway, I proceeded to go, um, to a um, store downtown Mont Montreal, Ogilvy, um, really high-end store. And I bought him a tie for like, I don't know, it was like 250 but it was silk. I bought him a red tie. It was a red tie, but I bought him this beautiful, really silk, beautiful tie. And I had it wrapped and everything, and I put a little uh, sorry note in there. And uh, he forgot about it. He put it. He put it aside, but I, I still think about that, and it bums me out I did it. But anyway, all water under the bridge now. And um, he was cool. He, he let me off the hook. He didn't hold it against me, um, and uh, I appreciated that. And then our career moves on in 83, 84, I think it was. We're all out in the town one night, and Guy decided to drive home, uh, and that... Uh, we almost lost Guy that night. 
he ended up uh, apparently falling asleep and his car hit a chain link fence which divided an exit in the highway. There was a chain link fence that ran down it. He hit the fence and that pole that runs along um, uh, horizontally the top of the fence came down and went right through the windshield and when he fell asleep, he fell against the window. And it came through. It's it's incredible how he didn't die. And the pole didn't go right through him. But it clipped his ear. And it tore his bit of his ear. So it was hanging down, flapping. And they had to sew it back on. But it's incredible. And you can you can check it out. Just put Guy Lafleur car right And you can see the car. You can see the pole going through the steering wheel. It's incredible. And he survived it. Anyway, I remember going to the hospital and... And and in visiting him with a bunch of us went up there to see him and he had the he looked like he had a turban on. They wrapped him with with uh, you know that white mesh, you know, like gauze stuff. Anyway, he had it on his head and we were all teasing him, you know. Uh but uh honestly, we we're also like so happy that he didn't die because we saw how just how bad that car accident was and um anyway he gets through that and uh, bob berry was coaching at the time and bob berry was kind of a hot ass and things were getting tougher on gee and um although when i say tougher i mean he was still playing at a high level like you know yeah, he still had that speed he still had that flair 30 goals 40 assists that yeah 83 84 played 80 games you know 80 games he played that year. And um, anyway, the following year, Barry gets fired and Lemaire, Jacques Lemaire comes in. And we all know Jacques Lemaire. And uh, obviously my favorite coach of all time, okay? Right there with Ruel. And I say Ruel because he was a little different as a coach for me. He worked on fundamentals with me. And on the bench, uh, he only, I only had him for a short time on the bench uh, the end of that first season. But Lemaire I had, and Lemaire worked with me different, but he, he was just an awesome coach. And anyway, we all know, and everybody bitches and moans about Jacques Lemaire and the trap and all this, but a very successful coach, Hall of Fame player, Hall of Fame coach in my estimation. And um, Jacques came in and he implemented this system, and this system was very, a very, very defensive system, the trap. Guy Lafleur never played really with any structure. Guy Lafleur grew up playing outdoors on the pond, flying around with his hair whipping through the breeze, and he was never a systems guy. Give me the puck, give me the puck, just give me the puck, and that's what Lemaire did for so many years. Now. Jacques comes in and expects Guy to play in this system. And boy, these two guys, um, you, could, they, 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 woo, you could sense the friction. And it was uncomfortable. I remember one game, um, Guy would look back and kind of dirty look, Jacques, you know. But this one game in particular, if looks could kill, Jacques was dead. And I, <laughs> Guy, um, it was like two, Guy had a shift. Right at the end of the game, there's like two and a half minutes left in the game. So usually you go four lines, three lines, even three lines. You know, 
chances are Guy's not going to get back on the ice, right? Because the other lines are going to go. The time's going to run, run out. Game's over. So Guy come back in, and he happened to be sitting next to me. And I, um, the other line was up, and they were, they were out in the ice. And uh, Guy bends over, and I watch him. He bends over, and he takes the tape off his pads. Like, I'm done for the night. I'm not going back out there. And Lemaire sees this. And Jacques, I know, is the stickler on, always be ready. Always be ready. You never know. <laughs> You're going to get called. You better get your ass out in the ice. And be ready. Always be ready. Well, he undoes the tape. He rolls it up, and he throws it down the end of the bench. Lemaire sees this, and he's like, oh, yeah? yeah? You think you're fucking done for the night? No, you're not. So guys that are out in the ice, all of a sudden he calls, uh, I don't know who the hell he called. Let's say Keith Acton, Ryan Walter, and LaFleur. Oh, LaFleur, he, he turned back and he looked at him, I, I'm going to tell you. And right there, it just, I think their relationship ended. Right there. I think it was like, this isn't good. And, oh God, I felt bad. Guy goes out in the ice, and here's a guy, he was, you know, his uniform was always perfect, his hair, everything, and uh, <laughs> he wore these little shin pads. I don't know how the hell he did it. Like, they were, it might as well have had a Playboy magazine down there under his socks. Like, it's, it's so thin. He wore no equipment. He wore caps. I mean, I wore the caps too, but here for a guy who was a goal scorer, a superstar like him, you figured he'd have a little more protection. Because he'd be such a target all the time. But no, he had these little caps and little shin pads. Well, he gets out in the ice. It, like he, His eyes were pleading with the man not to put him. Kind of like, what the, What are you doing? And anyway, he stayed with it and put Guy out in the ice. And his fucking pad, like halfway th through the time he was out there, his pad turns sideways off his knee kind of to the side. And I'm just sitting there and other guys that... Uh, like, I, I think it was Cabo next to me. He's near me. He's going, oh, my God. And he come back to the bench, uh, and the game was over. Oh, God, was he pissed off. It was it was embarrassing. Anyway, that was um, that was about 18 games. No, 19 games into the season. Uh, Guy had two goals, three assists, five points. And we were going on the road, myself and Chris Chelios, uh, were together with Guy, were driving to the airport. And Guy was really down. And, um, you know, it was quiet, not too talkative. And we get to the airport, and usually pulling the parking, and we get out and we walk to the, the gate, you know. Well, he drives right up to the door. Um, you know, he drives right up to the door. And we're like, what's going on? We're, we're, uh, you're going to park? And he goes, uh, no, I'm not parking. I'm not coming. And we're like, what? You're not coming? Yeah, uh, that's it for me, boys. I'm finished. And we're like, what? You're, you're kidding me. He said, guys, I'm done. I've had enough of this shit. Not, not anymore. And... We were like bombs. Me and Charlie were like stunned. We were stunned. And uh, we got out of the car. We got on the plane. And 
Everybody said, where's Guy? Where's Guy? He didn't tell anybody. And um, they said, did anybody see Guy? And uh, coach came back. And me and Chelly, and he said, just tell him I'm not coming. So the coach came back and said, you know, where's Guy? Did anybody see him? And I said, listen, me and Chelly just drove out here with him. And he said, uh, he's not coming on the road trip. So that was um, his retirement from hockey. He retired that night, said, I've had enough. See you later. And he um, <clears throat> he stayed out of the game um, for three years. And I'll never forget, people were stunned, you know. They Anytime, you know, a guy retires like that, yeah, it's a good guy with it, especially in this province when, you know, the flair, the passion, the success, everything that Guy brought to this province and the, the uh, French-Canadian people and the country, quite frankly, sorry, not just here, but the country, in the game of hockey, the NHL. Um, when a guy walks away like that and retires, it's it's a solemn moment. But he was he's, he had his had his time and he was done. And I think a lot had to do, obviously, with the relationship with Lemaire. Uh, if someone else was different that was in their coaching at the time, he might have stayed a little longer. I don't know. We'll never know. But chances are he might not have retired that night. But he did. And Three years later, um, lo and behold, I was with the New York Rangers, and um, I had been traded. Jumbles broke me, uh, devastated. Here's an organization I hated growing up, and I became a part of and never wanted to leave. I never, ever wanted to play for another team in the NHL, and I mean that. After I got here, I never wanted to be anywhere else. Anyway, I ended up with the Rangers, and uh, remember Phil Esposito was the general, general manager at the time. And he came to me and he said, Knuckles, here's the deal. Can LaFleur still play? Could he, could, he, could he come here and score 20 goals? Now, mind you, he's been out of the league for three years. And he asked me, could he score 20 goals? I, wanna, I said, I'm telling you right now, if he comes in here and he plays a, a full season, he'll score 20. No problem. He says, that's all I wanted to know. So he goes out and he signs Key to a contract. All of a sudden, here I am, New York Ranger, and uh, here comes Gee. I'm back together with him uh, in the Broadway blue shirts. And um, it, it, it was awesome. And I'll tell you why it was awesome for me. And um, One, I got my friend and teammate coming back who um, – was always good to me. Never again. I'm gonna say, you know. Anyway, it was always good to me. And and Guy, uh, he comes to New York now. And let's go back to my the first day at Le Beau when Jesus Christ Himself is walking in the restaurant. That's how I felt. And I, I felt like I'm here. I am in in the the company of greatness. And I was. And now I'm with the Rangers. And I saw what Guy went through here as a player. The pressure of the French Canadian playing at home, bringing it home to the French people of this province, being available, being out there, signing autographs, taking pictures, just always, always there for the people. And he was, always. Now he comes to New York, the Big Apple, oh my God, the media, all this. There was nothing compared to here, the media. Um, and it was nothing um, away from the rink. When Guy stepped out of that rink 
here, anywhere he went, everybody was all over him and they wanted a piece of him. In New York, it was so awesome for me to see him be able to play the game again, one, and two, away from the rink, be able to kind of live a normal life. He never had that. And it was so awesome to see. Um, and, and he enjoyed it. He really enjoyed it. And we had a French-Canadian coach at the time, Michel Bergeron. So Bergie really was awesome for him because here I am. And, and Phil had this thing. You know, he had Marcel Dion there. He was older. And Guy, come on, he was out of the game for three years. Phil wanted these guys to play. And, you know, just, you know their time, the, the better years will buy them. And he brought them in because it's New York and they're marquee names and all that. But, you know, they were past it. Although Guy came in and Phil had asked me, can he score the 20? Well, he played 67 games that year. He had 18 goals and 27 assists. So he was too shy, but he was also 13 games shy of 80. Like he'd have got two more. He would have scored the 20. And he stayed there for a year. And then he signed with the uh, Nordiques the following year. And he played two more seasons, 89-90. Had 12 goals, 22 assists. And then 90-91, 12 goals, 16 assists. So, And then he retired from the game uh, for good. And in retirement, that grace, that dignity, uh, the flair continued. Um, You know, we ended up playing old-timer games with him. I had a blast with him. Uh, you know, because it was just so fun. There was no pressure. You go out there, you have fun together and enjoy each other. We were back on the bus where you got to spend a lot of time together. And, and you know, we had a lot of good memories. We talked about them. The kid from Boston and the kid from Terso, Quebec, Tadanac. And uh, it was just so cool. I got the opportunity um, to... Uh, have fun and enjoy his company in retirement uh, and such a good friend. And I say that uh, when he retired from the hockey alumni, he became the coach. So he coached and he would come around with us and he was so funny in the locker room with, you know, um, just the guys certainly loved him and looked out. He was one of the boys, uh, you know, superstars. Like I said, they're on that other level, but, he never, I'm going to tell you, in my case, he never treated me less than, always treated me as an equal, um, was a good person to me all the time. And, you know, I I had the, Guy, I told you, he loved speed, right? I remember one night when Montreal, in the Corvette, we were out having fun, and it was a light rain. And we are on um, René Levesque and... Uh, university and it's a big intersection and it was late at night and he had the vet and he pulls in in the intersection and I'm in the passenger seat and he starts doing donuts and I'm like oh my god here I am and I just I think that night so funny another night we had an awesome birthday party for him at the Ritz Carlton Hotel the whole team there just laughing what fun we had and then I think um, of the days I got. Now, Flower, I told you, the need for speed. He was a accomplished helicopter pilot, which a lot of people can't believe. Gila Fleur, you know? Gila Fleur, like, 
are you kidding me? You get in a helicopter with him? And honestly, after getting in the Corvette with him, I'm there. I'm crazy getting in the helicopter with him. But his good friend, um, Bob, uh, Rob McDuff, who is also a friend of Knuckles, taught him to fly. And Rob, man, he can fly. Like, he's good. You know, if the, you're up, uh, you know, whatever, 10,000 feet, 5,000 feet or whatever, that helicopter, the prop stops going, um, McDuff could put it down, save your life. But he taught Guy to fly. And uh, I remember Guy was going to uh, Quebec City one day, he called me, he said, Knuckle, come on, you want to take a ride with me? I'm there, sure. I went up Quebec City, what a nice day we had. Had lunch, flew back. Then um, another time we had an autograph signing in Boston. And he called me up and said, listen, I'm going to fly. You want to drive? You can drive. But I'm going to fly. You want to come with me? And I'm there. Yes, I do. So I met uh, Guy and off we went. Uh, we flew to Boston. It was so awesome. Down through Vermont. And what a day, you know, uh, got to ride uh alongside him and then um a memorable really memorable because i had never been to his hometown and uh they were a few years ago probably about five six years seven years ago now no i think it was around 2015 2014 um in his hometown thurso quebec uh, they were putting a statue of him right out in the town square and uh, again, little mill town. I've never been there. So it was awesome for me. I'm going to go see where he grew up, man. I grew up in the city, right? I grew up in Boston. And it's like, okay. And I, I never saw Thurso. And he invited me. And um, we went in the helicopter and flew, um, flew to Thurso. And I remember coming in there. I mean, this is so cool. I'm going to his hometown, see where... You know, it all began, and it was it was awesome. And I was one of the players. It was probably about, I don't know, six, seven former players. And for me to be asked to be one of them, you know, and, and out of those seven, I think they were all Hall of Famers, except for me. I mean, that's pretty cool. And like I said, he always treated me uh, with that respect. It was so cool. So I, I got the opportunity to see him. Uh, in his hometown and how much the people just adore him and love him and how he's good to everybody. And they had, he got up and spoke and Mr. Molson, the owners of the Canadian, uh, Jeff get up and spoke. And it's just, it's just incredible to have been a part of that and be able to share in that moment. And those are the memories. When I think back of my friend Guy, mon ami, mon chum Guy, um, the Dimon Blanc, La Flower, um, I have nothing but great memories with him. I really do, you know. Um, and I'm going to miss him as a friend. Um, sure, I'm not the only one, but I'm surely going to miss him. Uh, he was he was a, a big part of my life in my hockey career. And, and even after, to share that friendship with him. I'll, I'm going to leave you the quick story here. And I tell you, French Canadians adore this man. Uh, when I moved back here to Montreal, I moved in my next door neighbor, Sylvain Lalonde. Loved Guy Lafleur, like, you know, big hockey fan. And I fish with Sylvain quite a bit. And uh, Sylvain and I get out 
and Guy probably lived, I don't know, he lives like 20, 20 minutes from me. He lives in, he lived on a, an island called Il Bizard. And Il Bizard is on the Lake of Two Mountains. And I live on the other side of Lake of Two Mountains, uh, like a couple houses from the lake. And Sylvain and I go out and fish a lot. And one day we're out fishing, beautiful day, gorgeous day. And we're over toward Il Bizard, and um, we're talking. I said, see the house over there? He said, yeah, that's a nice house. And I said, yeah, that's where Guy lives. He said, no way. I said, yeah, Guy lives right there. He said, oh, I love this guy. You know, I think of this guy. You think he's home? I'm like, yeah. Listen, you want to meet him? And Sylvain, his eyes lit up. No way. I, I don't think he, he thought I had his phone number. So I call. I give Guy a call. I said, Guy, uh, you home? He said, yeah, yeah. How are you, Chris? Come on, Salvamo, let me... Um, I said, I'm out fishing. Actually, I'm out in front of your house, um, probably about 500 yards off. Can you see that little boat out there? We got a little 18 foot away fishing. He said, Yeah, I do. He said, Come. I said, I said, My friend I'm fishing with, uh, he's a big fan. He said, Come, come. So we pull in and um, we pull in and we throw the rope and he pulls us in. Uh, up onto the beach and we come up and I introduce Sylvain to him and Sylvain sat he, he, he couldn't believe it like yeah I could see in Sylvain he was just like just so happy that here he is his hero childhood hero and he's and he's talking to him and interacting with him well he talked for like I don't know we shot the breeze for 40 minutes Beautiful day, I'll never forget it, son. And uh, I took pictures of him and Sylvain and Guy. Obviously, I never, anytime, I, I hated to bother him, but I took a picture that day, and I'm so glad I did. It was the day before he got his diagnosis, because we had talked about it. And I said, you know, I had asked him, how you doing? Because he had had that stretch test. He had um, open-heart surgery, and... Um, you know, they had seen something on his lung uh, in that surgery. And they did a biopsy, and they were waiting to find out. But here he is the day before. And I didn't know until that day that that was what was going on, you know. I thought he had the, the open-heart surgery, had recovered from it. But that day it told me, um, you know, they found something uh, on my lung. And um, I'm waiting to hear, and I will find out tomorrow. So even knowing that, and this is the type of guy Guy Lafleur was, even knowing that, here he is, finding out the next day that he had lung cancer. You know, a lot in his mind, I'm sure, and uh, probably nervous, waiting to find out, I can only imagine. And he took the time you know, out of his day to um, bring my myself, my neighbor, Sylvain, and meet him. And not only meet him, but make him feel like, you know, so good on, on a day where he was probably just his mind and his nerves were somewhere else. And um, 
I, he was just awesome to Sylvain. And I'll never forget that day. But that kind of explains Guy in a nutshell, you know. He always had time for everybody, uh, no matter what. Autographs, pitches. Uh, he helped uh, visit hospitals, sick kids in hospitals. He was that humble um, guy in, in those situations and was just really... You know, he was there for so many people. He gave himself away. He gave himself away to a lot of people. Um, certainly his love of family come first, Lee's, Martin, and uh, Mark. But, um, man, uh, I never, um, I had never met anybody like him, and I'll probably never meet anybody again like Guy Lafleur. He was, he was truly one of a kind. Um, like I said, uh, he did everything with such grace and dignity and passion and flair. And uh, I'm going to miss him. He's an awesome guy. And um, yeah, um, may he rest in peace.